This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. I'm Amy. I'm a recovering sexaholic, and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. I am so super excited that you are here today and that you're listening to episode 12. Today is the day that we start the 30 days of the Talking Back Challenge, and I seriously cannot wait. If you haven't already done so, you'll want to get on the website, worthrecovery.com, and join the email list for the 30-day Talking Back Challenge. Joining the mailing list will give you free access to additional information, resources, and some extra worksheets on how to talk back. Also, I will be sharing the success of others along the way. Even if you're listening to this after the initial challenge of April 2016, you'll want to get on the website and join the waiting list for the next challenge group and also have access to that additional information. Oh, P.S., even if you're male, I've got some male followers out there. Join the list. You're going to learn a lot as we go along, and this totally applies to you. So today is the beginning of designing our personal talking back challenge. Now, you've listened to me talk about some of the voices in my head. Mostly you've listened to me talk about the shaming voices in my head. You know, the thing is though, I haven't always been able to hear or identify those voices. That definitely wasn't my natural state. When I first entered recovery, all I knew was that I was broken. It wasn't so much a voice in my head as it was just kind of this feeling that I had. It was this feeling that fundamentally in my core, I was broken. There was something wrong with me. At that time, I didn't really know what faulty core beliefs were, and I I knew what addiction was, but I wasn't familiar with the ins and outs of sex addiction for sure. I had no idea what attachment wounds were or really what the 12 steps of recovery were to begin with. I also had no experience in identifying my thinking patterns in regards to my own personal life. For as much logic as I did at work with mathematics, I was wholly unaware of my own personal logic, thought, or behavior patterns. The world for me was solving for X, and I was really, really good at it. When it came to solving for Y, as in W-H-Y, Y, that was new territory for me, especially in my own personal life or in my head for sure. Why I was doing things, why I thought things, why things happened the way that they did. That was something that was new for me. After about a year of therapy and 12-step meetings, I was definitely making progress. I felt way better about my life and things that were happening, but I still wasn't staying sober. It took me 18 months to find sobriety. I wasn't acting out with men, but I was still fantasizing and still masturbating. The spaces between episodes were getting longer. I was definitely moving in the right direction. At this time, my therapist recommended a group therapy situation for me. It wasn't the easiest thing I ever did. In fact, it was very challenging, but I definitely learned a lot. One of the assignments that we had, and I think it was week one even, actually. Well, maybe it was week two. I don't know. But one of the assignments we had was about affirmations. Ugh, I hate affirmations. My only real experience with them had been as a young adolescent. Maybe I was 12 or 13, and my family had taken a trip to visit some family. 
I was at my aunt and uncle's house and had to use the restroom. One of the other kids was using the hallway restroom, and so my aunt led me to the master bedroom and said I could use that. The walls in the bathroom were filled with sticky notes. Three by three yellow post-its were all over the place, all over. As I washed my hands, I started reading some of the ones that were on the mirror. I am the best salesman on the lot, said one. Another one, I always achieve my sales goal. And yet another one, I will sell 10 cars this month. I'm sure you can guess what my uncle did for a living, right? He, he sold cars. I don't really remember what the other ones were, but there were a lot of them. They framed the entire mirror twice, and there were more on the walls as well. I don't think I asked anyone about them, like what they were or what they were for, at least that I remember. I don't remember asking. I do remember thinking that they were weird. And I had this feeling like my uncle was a wimp because he had to tell himself these things every day in writing. I felt sad for him that he didn't feel good about himself or that he didn't have confidence. That seems like a lot of insight for a 13-year-old girl, but that is how I remember it and how it felt to me. The day I sat in group therapy and the therapist started talking about affirmations, that is all I could think about. I was my uncle. I was a wimp. I felt bad about myself. I had no confidence. And I had to now write affirmations on sticky notes and put them up in my bathroom so everyone could see. I, did, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it at all. At all. But when I started recovery, I made a deal with my higher power where I promised to do everything that my therapist asked me to do. I promised I would. And up until this point, I had. I was not going to break that commitment now. So I listened to what was said about affirmations, keeping my thoughts to myself, rolling my eyes when I thought my therapist wasn't watching, for sure. Later that week, I started searching the internet about affirmations. My real goal here was that I would find like pre-written cards that I could just print and cut up and bring to group the following week. I was really looking for the easy way out, but I started reading about what people had to say in regards to affirmations. What was the purpose, why people did them, and how they impacted their lives. Honestly, I really didn't think that seeing little uplifting notes every day would make me feel better. I didn't think it would work. I read all sorts of articles with titles such as, I remember this one, 35 affirmations that will change your life. Wow, okay. Or the only 100 positive affirmations you'll ever need. And I thought about like 100 sticky notes up in my bathroom. <laughs> or just some, you know, like the power of affirmations, just to name a few. These writers told stories of their entire lives changing by simply adding an affirmation routine to their life. To say I was skeptical would be an understatement. I've heard my whole life about the power of positive thinking, haven't you? Statements like, you are what you think you are. And whether you think you can or think you can't, you are right. These statements have become commonplace in our society and speak to the idea that thinking is all that is wrong with someone. That they can simply think their way into success, into relationships, into recovery, into sobriety. I don't know. I wasn't about to believe that saying positive things to myself would actually change anything. Like I said, I was skeptical. Now, another thing happened that week. I met with my nutritional therapist about some of the body image issues that I've been struggling with. I've had problems accepting who I am and what I look like. 
She was showing me pictures of some of the things that women have done historically and even in the present day to alter their bodies to fit the mold of what society says is beautiful. I was familiar with most of the practices that we discussed and at the end we were engaged in a conversation about the things about our bodies that we can't change. She said kind of casually like nonchalantly it's not like there's a surgery that can make us taller or shorter and then she kind of laughed. I couldn't laugh. An anger and resentment boiled up in me and I had this incredibly negative physical reaction to that statement. I'm sure she was really surprised when I shot back. Why not? Why not? Why, we can change the entire way our face looks. Why can't we change our height? Why not? Here sitting in front of me was this petite blonde woman, maybe 5'4", I think. She hadn't been at tall a day in her life. She fit the mold of what the world considered beautiful in every way, every way. And here I was, six foot tall, size 11 feet, pans big enough to palm a basketball, overweight, with a big head and limp thin hair. At least that's how I saw myself then. I didn't fit the mold at all of what society says is beautiful. Not at all. I pretty much just picked up and left after that. I couldn't explain my outburst and was really embarrassed and, and really confused. I cried as I drove home, all the way home. I liked being tall. I thought I liked being tall. I wouldn't want to be short, would I? If there was a surgery, would I want to be short? 5'4", like my mom, or 5'3", and 5'6", like my sisters? No, I, would, I wouldn't want to be short. I love being tall. I love it, right? Didn't I? But did I love it? Why, oh why, was I having such an emotional outburst? The next few days were almost sheer panic for me. Who was I? If I liked being tall, why did I have such this negative reaction to her comment? And why did the idea of a surgery that could make me short actually appeal to me? You know, this may seem like a trivial thing, being tall or being short, having a surgery to change height, but let me try and explain. What was revealed to me in that moment was a whole layer of thoughts and emotions that I simply wasn't aware of. In that response, I realized there was more going on inside my head, inside my heart, inside my body than I ever, ever knew about. The emotion was coming from somewhere I didn't even know existed, and that somewhere was inside me. Have you ever had that happen? It can be anything, something really minor, an off-the-cuff statement, a song at a concert or on the radio, a commercial, or maybe a physical touch of some sort, and all of a sudden, a place inside of you is broken open, and a flood of emotions come out. Emotions you didn't even know you had. Strong, usually very, very strong, with a massive current ready to carry you away whether you are ready or want them or not. That is what happened to me that day. It swept my whole world away with it as I started to question everything that I believed, thought, or felt. If I was storing these emotions about my height somewhere deep inside that I wasn't even aware of, what else was I storing? If I could have such a response to such a very simple question, what else was going on inside of me that I didn't know about? But really most important to me at that moment was, did I really like being tall? Was I lying to myself this whole time? Was this something I told myself to make me feel better? I, I, I just didn't know. I was lost in all of these emotions. I carried all of that with me to group therapy the next day where we were supposed to report on our affirmations. Something I hadn't done. 
and somehow I maneuvered getting out of it. We only had enough time for about half the group to report, and I strategically sat in a place where I thought maybe I could get out of it, and I did. And the other thing I didn't do was I didn't speak to anything that was happening or bothering me. I couldn't quite name it. I couldn't quite figure it all out. I didn't really know how to talk about it, and I couldn't make sense of any of it. But during the next week, a profound shift happened inside of me. Once the dam was broken, I was aware, aware of all of it, not just the emotions, but the shame, the contradiction, the voices. Awareness is both a gift and a curse, if you ask me. The voices were overwhelming, telling me what I should and should not be doing, what I was and was not worthy of. They compared everything about me to everyone around me, both male and female. It didn't matter. They were talking all the time. You've heard the concept or saying that you can't unsee something once you've seen it. It was like that. I couldn't turn off the voices once I was aware of them. I couldn't make them stop talking. Like I said, awareness is both a gift and a curse. Now, I do not have schizophrenia, nor am I trying at all to compare my situation to that. These weren't random voices telling me to do random things. It was my own voice. My own voice narrating my experience in the world. But it wasn't that cool like voiceover narration, you know, that you see in movies or TV, the words that kind of make sense of things going on or help the story move at the correct pace. These were critical, offensive, ugly, shaming words. They were horrible and I felt horrible. The things I said about other people were shaming. I felt like a terrible person. The things I thought about my friends nearly drowned me in shame. I wasn't saying these things, but I was thinking them, and that was enough. But more than that, it was the things I said to myself, about myself. And most of these I did say out loud, and I was beginning to crumble under the weight. As these words became louder and louder in my head, I was still trying to do my group therapy assignment, affirmations. Oh, And then what I consider a total miracle happened. I found this article on the internet about affirmations. Now, I, I really, really wish I could find it again and give you the exact reference, but I've searched and I can't. But I'm sending all sorts of good karma out into the universe for this author all the time. And I don't really remember much about the article, to be honest. I know there were suggested affirmations and I know the author shared their own story. The general theme was about how our limiting negative thoughts hold us back. Their goal is to scare us, to keep us small, and restrain us from finding love, success, and happiness. I'm confident there was something else in there about where they came from and how we internalize them into our own voice. But like I said, I I really don't remember everything. But what I do remember, what is burned into my eyes that I can't unsee ever, is this sentence. And it literally changed my life. It said, it is time to start talking back. Time to start talking back. It is time to start talking back. And with that one sentence, affirmations made sense to me. Everything clicked in. Affirmations weren't sentences for wimpy people with no confidence or low self-esteem. They were powerful statements we made to ourselves in order to talk back to those negative thoughts, feelings, and voices in our own head. This was war. 
War with ourselves, war with our addicts, war with what society told us we should be, and war with those faulty core beliefs we held in the cells of our body that we weren't even aware of. This was full on war. It was time to start talking back, time to start fighting. In that moment, as the reality of the power of affirmations and these talking back statements sunk in, all the resistance I had, all the angst, all the eye rolling at my therapist and all the fear I had fell away instantly. It was truly profound. I knew then that talking back statements weren't for the faint of heart. These aren't wimpy statements that we make to try to feel better. These are battle cries. These are our declarations to the world of who we are, what we want, and what we stand for. I knew that weak statements wouldn't work. I knew that if I was going to go to war, I would have to give it my full effort and my full attention. And right then and there, I knew I would. I knew I would do it. I knew from the weeks I had spent listening to my voices that if I didn't learn to fight, I was going to end up dead before I even made it on the battlefield. It was time to make a battle plan. Through some trial and error, I developed a strategy. A strategy that worked for me and quite literally has changed my life. I've refined it over a few years of practice until it is stronger than ever. Today, I'm going to share an overview of my strategy, give you the outline, and then give you some homework to complete. In episodes 14 and 16, we'll do a deep dive into the components of your battle plan, and you'll have the opportunity to design the plan that works for you. Then in April, we are going to execute our plans. We are going to go to war and we are going to win. My battle plan is a four phase plan. I'm gonna go through each of those four phases with you and then give you some homework. So phase one, enemy identification. Okay, really, it's like control statement identification. I may be taking this battle thing a little too far, but it's okay, it works for me. In order for my talking back statements to have maximum impact, I needed to know the exact argument or statement that I was fighting with. My chances of success will skyrocket if I can aim at a target. My first step was to identify what I called the control statements. The statements that had the most control over me, the ones that caused the most damage, that caused the most fear, that paralyzed me, that stopped me from acting. I found these were usually the ones I said over and over and over and over to myself. I needed to identify them as specifically and accurately as possible because these statements were the enemy. So that was my first phase, phase one. Phase two, I called threat level assessment. As I collected these control statements, I classified them into four general categories, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. This was a war on all fronts, all areas of my life. I classified these statements to help me assess the threat level. You might find that the battle is heaviest in one or a few specific areas of your life, or you might find equal threat across the board. We classify the statements and we do some reflection about them, where they came from, and how they are impacting our lives. We dig deep and we figure out the threat they pose to our lives. This is also where we assess the truth of those control statements. Again, my chances of success skyrocket if I can aim at a very clear, specific target. I needed to know where to focus my efforts, which category was controlling my life the most. Assessing the threat level helped me find the target for maximum impact. Okay, phase three, 
Attack plan design. This is where you craft and design your talking back statements, your affirmations. I prefer to call them talking back statements. It reminds me of why I do them and the purpose behind them, but you can call them whatever you want. In this phase, we go on the offensive and we strategically craft the attack statements for maximum impact. This is where we decide the number of statements, what category they belong in, and how I can talk back and fight with these voices in my head. Okay, last phase, phase four, digging, I call it digging the trenches. Like I said, I may be taking this battle scenario a bit too far, but it works for me, so I'm okay with that. So digging the trenches, if you're not familiar with it, trench warfare is about longevity. Soldiers only dug trenches when they knew they were going to be there for a long time. It symbolized commitment and dedication. It symbolized an iron will to hold your ground. It symbolized your desire to go to any length to win. This is the place where we plan our attack for 30 days. We make it happen. We commit. We set a schedule. We make a routine. And we win. That's it. Four phases to talking back. Enemy identification. Threat level assessment. Attack plan design and then digging the trenches. I'm super excited to start fighting this battle with you and to win the battle in your head. Your first assignment is to complete phase one, control statement identification or enemy identification. This might be harder than it seems a little bit. I don't want a stream of consciousness or a list of everything you think or say to yourself. I want you to find the control statements. This is the method that I recommend and use myself. It takes 10 minutes a day. So you set aside 10 minutes. I always like to start with a prayer, the serenity prayer or, or something like that. I set a, a timer, I use my phone, I set a timer for three minutes. I close my eyes and I ask myself this question. What limiting things do I believe about myself? I keep my eyes closed and I let the thoughts come in and out of my mind. I try not to hold on to any one particular thought. If one persists, it's okay, but I try not to will it to stay. If you feel stalled, then I, I say it out loud again to myself. What limiting things do I believe about myself? Once I've thought of a few, I'll keep asking, what else? What else? The thoughts will fly in. I promise. Next, I set the timer again for three minutes. And I ask myself the same question. What limiting things do I believe about myself? But this time, I write it down. Whatever comes to mind, I write it down without judgment, without explanation. I write it down. If it comes to your mind more than once, then just check mark the first statement you wrote. Whatever it is, write it down. When the time's up, your pin goes down. Three minutes. That's it. Okay, and then I set my timer again for three minutes. I close my eyes and I ask myself this question. What do I want to believe about myself? Again, I keep my eyes closed and I let the thoughts come in and out of my mind. I don't try to hold on to one thought particularly. I just let them come in and go out. If I get distracted, I say the question again out loud. What do I want to believe about myself? Stay in this place for three minutes. This is the beginning of talking back. This is your declaration of war. You're saying, I'm coming for you negative thoughts. I'm coming. What do you want to believe about yourself? When the timer goes off, you're done. I like to end with a prayer as well, but that's totally up to you. Don't write these ones down yet. This is like shooting your warning shots. Just let them start to do a little bit of damage.
That's it. That's the process. Do it every day for five days. Do it. Commit right now. Do it. I started again this morning and I'm going to do it again along with y'all. Start with a new paper every day. That's what I do. I mean, you can choose. I use the front and the back. On day two, when some of the same thoughts will come into my head, I write them again. I don't fight with them. I just write them again. But you'll also have new ideas and new thoughts that come into your head too. Write them all down for three minutes. Do it for five days. At the end of the five days on day six, you will know what your control statements are. They will be the ones that occur most often. They will be the ones that you wrote down nearly every day, or at least most days. You'll know exactly what they are, and then you can begin phase two. And that is where we'll pick up in episode 14, phases two and three. Once you know your control statements, what are you going to do then, right? So I'm super, super excited to share the next phases with you. Episode 14 will have those phases, but don't listen to it until you're done with phase one. Make sure that you've done your five days, that you know what your control statements are. Otherwise, when you get to episode 14, you won't have anything to work with. Okay, are you ready to go to war? Because I am. I am ready. And I hope you're going to join me. Remember to get on the website and download the overview worksheet and join the talking back mailing list because that will give you some additional worksheets as well. As always, I want you to know that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel right now at this moment, no matter the ugly shaming voices in your head, you are worth recovery. You are worth it. 100% worth it. Keep up the fight. I think about you. I pray for you. I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.